Hello. And welcome to Younger Dumb. Hello. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, so I'm Brandon, um, and my job title mm -hmm. is I am a stainless and aluminum product specialist for a metals company. Welcome to Younger Dumb. My name's Mariana, and I'm interested in learning a variety of topics, but the thing is, I'm not much of a reader. Join me as I interview a mix of people in different careers or topics to see if I'm just new to adulting and haven't learned this stuff yet, or if I should have known this information already. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go ahead and start off with your job responsibilities? Okay. Um, so a product specialist, um, what I'm doing a lot of is a lot of different jobs that you see in different people's like daily you know, jobs, but I have a whole lot of different ones. So I do a little bit of purchasing, um, you know, it's a lot of relationship-based, a lot of knowing the customers. Um, one thing that I've always liked doing was being more informed. So in my industry, there's a lot to learn. And even if you're in it for 20, 25 plus years, you're always learning something different. So mm -hmm. being in it for, you know, almost three years now, and I'm still learning every something three every single crazy. day. I know, I know. Yeah. Time flies. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> what's your, what, be more specific. You do a lot of everything. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, when I, when I started college, um, I wanted to be in business. Like I think hundred years ago. Yeah, a hundred years ago. Yeah. Great. Thanks <laughs> for that. <laughs> but I wanted to be in business. Um, I knew I kind of liked analyzing. That's kind of how my mind works. Mm -hmm. um, so I was originally in finance. I switched to economics, and I absolutely loved it because you get to follow markets. I thought you did a double major. I did. So I switched my finance major to management with an emphasis in leadership. Okay. So that's what I did, but my true you know, passion was economics. Mm -hmm. And there you get to study different charts, how, how things, um, you know, how one thing can affect another thing and mm -hmm. kind of how things are expected to react, which is very important in what I do because I just so happen to stumble into the metals industry mm -hmm. and it's an actual commodity that's being traded so every single day you could go on and see where is a certain type of metal trading today and it very deeply affects what I do on my day-to-day -day. what do you mean it's being traded like does that is that a fancy word for sold um it's traded on a marketplace so like stocks? very much like stocks or different commodities are traded like stocks too so you could go on and buy flour, um, corn, the different commodities are traded like that. And that's what a lot happens is the farmers will bring a certain amount of their crops to the market mm -hmm. and you have traders that are trading their crop, their goods. Yeah. And that happens with all sorts of commodities, including metals. Mm -hmm. So um, being in stainless steel, um, stainless steel is a lot of nickel. Um, yeah, no, not, not, <laughs> not money. Not five cents. No. <laughs> no, two won't get you a dime. Okay. <laughs> but nickel is mined up in the earth, and um, it's sold, and it's very, very expensive. Mm. Nickel, um, because it's so necessary, it's, you know, one of the most 
more expensive um, materials that go into the different grades of stainless steel that you buy. What is made out of nickel? Um, the biggest thing right now that is driving the nickel industry is electric batteries. So the more and more you see um, electric vehicles, or mm -hmm. as they call it EVs, um, the EV market is kind of demanding more and more nickel. Mm -hmm. So for the regular tubing and stuff that I would sell, it's harder to get because it's you know being used in different things. And the EV market has mm -hmm. been driving a lot of that. So nickel is, well I guess stainless steel is a form of nickel? So, yeah. We could we could talk about what stainless yeah. steel is. So metal um, is made up of a lot of different um, types of metal mm -hmm. that's kind of brought into one, and that makes up a certain chemistry, um, and that's what like the name of the chemistry is. So it's stainless steel gets its name mm -hmm. because it does not rust like normal iron does. Mm -hmm. um, you've heard of steel, and you've heard of Carbon steel is uh, what I don't work with, but what a lot of my company does. Mm -hmm. I think my company is about 75% carbon steel. Mm -hmm. And that's very cheap metal because it's mostly just iron. And iron is very easy to get from the earth. Mm -hmm. But then you have more expensive metals, and those kind of metals are more rare. And also they have different qualities that you want in your finished product. Like it doesn't rust. Like it makes it not rust, yeah. It's kind of crazy and I can't tell you exactly how it does it, mm -hmm. but there's some sort of layer that happens over the stainless steel to where when water hits it, this layer is like acts as a protective layer. So while stainless steel can rust and it does, mm -hmm. it takes a lot longer of a time to rust. So what is an example of normal steel? Normal like give steel. Them, give them an example so they know what you're kind of talking about. Yeah, normal steel is a lot cheaper, so it would go into a lot of different things. Um, I would say a lot of welders will use steel because it is so cheap and used for so many things. So infrastructure, um, like under the roads and stuff, that's all going to be carbon steel. And a lot of that you can make very thick tubing and it can rust, it's not a huge deal, as long as it doesn't mm. rust through. Yeah, I was going to say that, doesn't it, you, I feel like you would want, I don't know exactly what pipes are doing under mm -hmm. the road, but you, wouldn't you want that sturdy? The biggest thing is I would say that you would always want stainless steel, mm -hmm. but a lot of times it comes down to the cost effectiveness of yeah. it. I think co uh, cost-wise, stainless steel is so much more expensive than mm -hmm. normal steel. When it's traded on the market, you know, the things that go into stainless will probably be around uh, 10 to $12 right now for what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, carbon steel is traded for a matter of cents. I think at mm -hmm. one point it was at six cents or seven cents. Mm -hmm. So that's quite the difference between the $10. Yeah. Yeah. So. so stainless steel is better. And then you also do aluminum. Yeah. So aluminum is kind of its own thing. Um, it's a little part of our company, mm -hmm. but it's important nonetheless because we want to offer more products to our customers. So is that one also traded? Uh, yes. Yeah, you can go and look at aluminum, and aluminum has a very neat way at how they figure out the pricing. Mm -hmm. um, here in the Midwest, they have what's called the Midwest average, and it's what is being traded every single day, mm -hmm. and they take the average of the last month and they use that price for the next month. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So it's kind of like one solid price that you could use for a whole month and it makes it a little bit more convenient than having to go look at the market every single day and yeah. see. But yeah, it still changes often enough to where if it gets more expensive or cheaper, it will adjust at the end of the month. Yeah. Yeah. So you work stainless steel and aluminum. Nice. <laughs> Real nice. You work with those two. So you have companies come to you asking for it and you're finding it for them and then telling them the prices or what is the process? Yeah, so our customers, is that like what you're asking? Yeah. Um, our customers could be anyone from um, a machine shop mm -hmm. that is going to make a finished part for some sort of company. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, when you think of finished parts, I think of like uh, certain machines like John Deere. Mm -hmm. um, contracts out so many of those parts so l let's start with my product yeah um, I'm in the tubing industry so that is considered a you know semi finished but it's still a finished product mm -hmm. because what happens is they take strip of steel and then is strip just like a piece is that, what that means? yeah so it starts as a coil basically like a giant toilet paper roll okay and they'll slit the coil Mm -hmm. So let's say they only need the strip to be about this wide, mm -hmm. they'll slit it to that wide so there's a slitter. Yeah. And there's certain companies that just slit, but a lot of the mills will also do their own slitting too. Mm -hmm. And Are these, you a mill? No. What's a mill? Then we'll move down to the tubing mills. Okay. So what they'll get is the slit coil. Mm -hmm. And what they're set up to do is they have rollers that as you're running the material through, mm -hmm. these rollers actually curve the metal into a tubular yeah. you know, <laughs> shape. Yeah. And then it gets welded automatically as it goes through the process. Oh, it's okay. a really neat process and I got to see it once. Up in Wisconsin there's a, a pretty big mill that I work with mm -hmm. and um, they had me in for a tour and it's really cool to see. It goes into a little box and um, I'm sure, I know the welders that you interviewed talked about it a little bit, but there's mm -hmm. gas around the weld. Go watch that yeah, video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the welders. I, I enjoyed that one. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the weld needs uh, certain amounts of gas that go in, mm -hmm. and it also provides um, a certain uh, product, the certain types of gas and the different gases they use, yeah. is how good the product might be, mm -hmm. is their special blend. You know, so different mills, even though they're selling the same thing, um, they're they're a little different. So you have a warehouse in your building. Yeah. Are the warehouse different than the mills? Yes. So we'll keep going down the line. I'm just jumping ahead. So I you, I know I know, but I like it because you're you're ready to go on that. So it started out with the coil, mm -hmm. and there's only so many large um, metal companies that do that. Here in the U.S. there's only three. Wow. There's North American Stainless, they, they're known as NAS. Mm -hmm. There's Allegheny Technologies, um, which is based in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is the steel uh, capital of the U.S. And um, the river that actually flows through Pittsburgh is called the Allegheny River, I believe. So there's like yeah. deep roots from the steel industry in that town. Okay. And then there's one other uh, company, Autocumpo. Where is the other two located? Uh, NAS is in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And Autocumpo, I'm not sure exactly where they're at. I think they're down south somewhere. But uh, Autocumpo started in Europe 
and they ended up bringing a lot of what they have here. So they have a big um, mm -hmm. portion of their operation here. Cool. Mm -hmm. So it goes to one of those. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it starts that coil, mm -hmm. then goes to the tubing mills. They make the tube out mm -hmm. of the, you know, strip. Mm -hmm. And then they have to sell the tube. Okay. Now, from a business perspective, they could sell to the customers direct. They mm -hmm. could have, you know, your mom and pop shop come in and saying, hey, can I have a piece of tube? Mm -hmm. But it is not efficient for them to do that because they're making so much tube in such large quantities. Mm -hmm. They're constantly running what they're running. Yeah. And they make so much material that the way that the industry sells it is now the mills will have a relationship with their distributors. Which is you? Yes. So I work for a distributor. So they're making it before they have orders and then you just order from them or they make it when you order it? They do both. It's hard because in a slow economy, mm -hmm. they're able to overproduce and actually start stocking material. Yeah. But in a fast economy where everybody you know needs and wants more yeah. materials, they actually have a lead time and we have to wait for it. Yeah. So it's kind of nice because we will order ahead because we know what our customers need and then we will bring it into our warehouse and stock it. Mm -hmm. So we'll have stock when people need it, even though the mill might be out in 10 weeks from mm -hmm. now, you know? Yeah. But we have orders on the books and that material is already coming in. So bring it in. Oh my gosh, I had a question. Yeah. Now what's interesting is what the distributors add a lot of time is not only the fact that they can stock it, mm -hmm. bring it in, keep it on the shelves, and kind of sell the ones and twosies like that. Mm -hmm. um, my facility and my company does a great job at value-added um, things. Mm -hmm. So we actually do have welders and we have um, fabricators that will make certain parts and we have machines. Our Romeoville facility has um, over 10 lasers mm -hmm. and what the lasers do is like if you think of a John Deere part um, it might be the bar that goes over like a lawnmower so the mm -hmm. first thing that you're gonna have to do is bend it mm -hmm. and the second thing you're gonna have to do is cut out the holes in the tube where like the screws will go for your different bars and different things like that yeah so these companies will send us prints and we'll be able to tell them what we can and can't do on our lasers yeah. And that's kind of the value added that we bring mm -hmm. to the table, you know, and that's just one of the many things that we could do. Do you have a lot of other companies as competition? Uh, we do. There's a lot of different distributors. I wouldn't say a ton. Like, you could probably, like, go through. And the sizes also um, are a big difference. There's certain areas where they'll only have one branch, and they're a smaller branch, but they're very you know, focused on their area and they can do it just as well as anybody else can because they're very focused. Mm -hmm. And then you have medium sized companies, which I would describe mine as. We have about eight different branches throughout the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have massive companies that are all throughout the US. Do all your locations have a warehouse or no? Yes. Yeah, we don't um, just have any sales offices. We used to have uh, in Cleveland, um, the sales office, and then our warehouse is really small. Mm -hmm. But we are actually a, we, we are owned by a larger company that does plate and coil. Mm -hmm. So they sell the huge toilet paper rolls of mm -hmm. material and just, uh, you know, flat plates. 
And do you think that's more beneficial? Like, do you think your clients come to you over another place because you have that warehouse? Well, and you talked about how you have that like add-on stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, the really nice part about that is, let's say we have our Cleveland branch, mm -hmm. and there's a Cleveland customer, there's a customer in Cleveland, um, but we have stock in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. What we can do is because we do so much of it, and we have shuttle trucks running between our branches, we can tell our customer, you know, give us four or five days, mm -hmm. and we will shuttle Minnesota down to Chicago, Chicago over to Cleveland, and Cleveland we have shuttle routes running out, and we can deliver it to your facility. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like a nice network, and I think that's a lot of my company's success in, you know, what we do, is we have a very good network in the Midwest. So how do you find your clients? Um, Wait, so, were you finished with the process? No, I think I think that's good. That's a good okay. question. As they as they roll off, you okay. know, <laughs> kind of what you're wondering. I want to make sure we don't skip anything. So. Right. You had a good question um, that you prepared that I thought about, and it was a lot of what do other people do, or what specifically do you do on your team? Something sort of like that. And it's funny because I do a lot of things, but I rely. On other people to do a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're finding it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was a really good. That was a really good question I asked. <laughs> I said, how much of your job needs approval from your manager? It could be part of it. Um, I think you asked me about the quality aspect of it too, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So a lot of um, businesses are set up differently. You'll have different roles and different jobs. Mm -hmm. But the basic needs are pretty similar. Some smaller companies might rely on one person to do multiple jobs. Mm -hmm. I would say at my company, because we're pretty big, and especially me being in the corporate office, so we have a lot of people, mm -hmm. everybody has their own jobs. Me being a product specialist, my job is to know the product and to know the different suppliers that will sell it. Yeah. What our customers will do is they see the sales side. So we have inside and outside salespeople. Mm -hmm. Inside salespeople, uh, they work inside the building and they're getting emails for, from customers that are asking, can you quote this? Mm -hmm. And the inside people, yeah, like I was saying, work at their desk, they're getting emails in from our customers the outside people are going out to visit our customers, mm -hmm. building more upon that relationship, making sure that they're happy. If they have a problem, they'll go out and you know look at what the problem is, and they will also kind of prospect new customers. What do you mean by problem? What problem? If they're like their potential customers or your existing customers, what um, are problems? Well, the problems would be with existing customers. Yeah. Um, if we gave them tube and they said this isn't even the right tube that we ordered or wanted. Mm -hmm. um, That'd be your fault. Or, yeah, yeah. Mm, and sometimes, sometimes certain things happen to where mm. it could be anyone's fault. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> or everyone's fault sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so they kind of go out and help them with all that. And, um, yeah, they're more of you know outside the building they're a little bit of hybrid they're a little inside the building a lot like I know my outside people really well but they'll come to me and say we just visited this customer or potential customer and this is what they do 
can you help us put together a package for them, or is this something that we would be able to offer them, or is it just not worth it? Is it not in our wheelhouse? Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of things that they prospect out, and we you know go from there. Okay. Yeah. A lot of times there's an outside salesperson and an inside salesperson paired onto an account. Okay. Yeah. So you're the account, or the account the is account just like is that the customer? The account is the customer. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do you get assigned them? Do you um, have like a specific salesperson assigned to you? A salesperson is assigned to a handful of accounts, probably a lot, mm -hmm. ranging from anywhere from 50 accounts to you know over 100. Mm -hmm. um, and those could be more active. You could get emails from those customers every single day, but they could be less active where maybe you know they don't do as much work, so they only reach out maybe once a month mm -hmm. um, on like their basic needs, or like they only need like one piece every mm -hmm. you know so often. So that'll happen sometimes too. Yeah. Um, what that pair will do, an inside and an outside on the account, um, they get a request from the account. If it's stainless and aluminum, and it's a larger quantity that we don't already have in stock, because if it is in stock, they can handle it themselves. Okay. They're like, okay, um, our stainless team or our purchasing team already brought this in um, at this price, and we can sell it. Mm -hmm. If it's a larger quote, if it's going to be thousands of dollars, they might want to say, well, where's the market at right now for this? Did aluminum just go through the roof, so we have to sell this a little higher because our replacement costs? Are going to be higher, yeah. And replacement costs, um, you know, would be what is it going to cost for you to bring in the material that you already have in stock? Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to order this material today, maybe you ordered it three months ago at a dollar, mm -hmm. but now it's a dollar fifty. So because that's the material that we have to bring in, we kind of have to cover ourselves and maybe lift the lift yeah. the pricing a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how that goes. They'll come to us for help, and we will help them because our salespeople deal with so many different materials mm -hmm. and so many different products. We're more focused and we're specialized in knowing the stainless and aluminum markets and the products. So the salespeople do everything that your company sells? Yeah, yeah. And our salespeople, I mean, that's where the money comes from. You know, there's so many supporting roles and there's so many jobs mm -hmm. that play a huge part, but sales really generates the revenue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have people in the warehouse, um, you have people, quality people that are checking the stuff and making mm -hmm. sure that it's being brought into the warehouse right. Mm -hmm. You have accounting upstairs to make sure that the customers are getting billed and we are paying the bills from the material coming in. Yeah. You know, everybody has their own job. So. Yeah. Um, so are you talking to the clients or do you just let the salespeople know it's going to cost this much for this much and then they communicate that to them? Very rarely will I communicate with the accounts. The accounts are handled by the sales team. Mm -hmm. They develop that relationship, you know, they kind of know them. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes if they're like, our customer needs to know more about stainless and like what it could do for them, mm -hmm. we might have a little bit more expertise where we will go communicate direct with them over either email or phone or we'll do a conference call mm -hmm. just to talk about what we can offer and what we think uh, might be a good product for them. So, not to throw you under the bus, but to throw you under the bus, mm -hmm. one day we were supposed to go get food mm -hmm. and you canceled on me and our other friend because you went to go meet with clients. That's right. So Quote unquote clients. Sean, what should talk about? So was um, that clients like the um, mills? 
It was. It was. Mm. So you have your clients and your accounts. That's our customers. We sell to them. Mm -hmm. We have vendors that sell the product to us. Yes. And my relationship is a lot more with the vendors. Mm -hmm. So those uh, same people that I was talking about um, that I do a lot of business with, yeah. they were coming into town and they let me know last second that whoever they came in to see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Canceled on them. <laughs> that's okay. Me and her still had a good time. Yeah. So that's okay. But the, the metals industry, and I would say a lot of sales um, industries, but specifically metals, is so relationship driven. Mm -hmm. If you have a good relationship with the mill and they're willing to help you out, sometimes even give you better pricing, you might end up getting the business that a different distributor won't a be able to because you have that relationship. Yeah. And it kind of works the same way with our salespeople and our customers, you know? Mm -hmm. It is so relationship driven, so you really have to be able to talk to people and kind of yeah. convey yourself. I guess that, like, I see why that happens, but I guess it also confuses me because if the price of something is the price of something, mm -hmm. at least, I guess they could be giving it to you where they don't make, like, a profit off of it. Mm -hmm. But, like, if the price of something is, like, $3, yeah, and they tell you it's $3, then if you like them or if they like you, then why would that affect the price? So, you have, so if you were getting a product in for $3 and selling it for $3, mm -hmm. you'd be out of business. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. How are they able you're gonna to give put, you a better deal? You're going to put a markup on everything. Yeah. And a lot of that is market driven. Mm -hmm. If you are getting the product in for $10, mm -hmm. and it's always been $10, mm -hmm. but there's a higher demand for it, mm -hmm. now you could charge more money for it. Yeah. So instead of selling it for 15 like you used to, it's still coming in for 10 Yeah. but now you're selling it for 18 or 20 so if the supplier likes you, then they can make it 16. The supplier might say, yeah, we'll give it to you for 16. You know, prices are always changing and the amount of margin yeah. that you get on it is, you know, very variable. Yeah. And obviously in order to be a successful business, you have to make more money than your costs are. Yeah. And there's so many different costs for a business that you haven't really, that you really need to think about. Like the cost of the, having the warehouse, you got to pay rent. You have to pay for every single one of those warehouse workers out there. Mm -hmm. You have to pay for the electric every you know uh, month. You have to pay for everybody's salary in the office. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when your product is coming in for 10 and you're selling it for 18, mm -hmm. you're thinking like, wow, that's like a lot of money that you're making. But it's really, you know, the costs. You, have to, you have to make sure you, you cover your costs. And yeah. you're doing this for a reason and that's to make, make profit. Yeah. Yeah. My job is very similar to yours, I'll say. Mm -hmm. And since I've been in this job, it's like so crazy. I don't want to get into detail about it, mm -hmm. but I've I've seen how like markups and stuff work, mm -hmm. and just like the margin of what profit companies should be making and stuff. And yep. I think it's really interesting. In some different markets, you're able to make more money because that's just how the market is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what will happen is you'll bring in raw materials that cost. A total of 90 cents mm -hmm. and you'll be selling your product for $200 mm -hmm. and a lot of it is either what you're capable of doing it or doing to it mm -hmm. with it or how you're able to market it yeah or maybe it's the demand maybe it's really hard to get and you're a key player in that and you have a way to get it that other people don't yeah you get to upsell it so the markups crazy. are very crazy yeah. yes yeah 
that's one thing I was most surprised probably about my position was mm -hmm. how much my company pays for stuff and then how much we sell it for. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you brought up your position because I don't know exactly. Don't, don't say too much. I don't know exactly what you do. Yeah. But from, me neither. For, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm Great. kidding. Is that what was thinking with? Oh, what did she do? <laughs> just kidding. That's being taken out. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. You're keeping this in. You're keeping this part in. <laughs> so I would say that the main job of mine <laughs> is sales support. I support my sales team through my relationship with the vendors and knowing the product a little bit uh, better. Mm -hmm. But I would also say that I have control of my own purchasing. So I'm a little bit more of a purchasing agent. Now what we have in my company is corporate purchasing too. So those are two different jobs, my purchasing and then what the corporate purchasing team does. Mm -hmm. The corporate purchasing team will look at our usage and be like, wow, we sell this product. Uh, a lot. We sell 5,000 feet a month of this. Mm -hmm. So what they're going to do is they're going to go to the mills and be like, we'll take on like two months worth of material. So what kind of price can you give me for 10,000 feet? Mm -hmm. Now most of our salespeople will never land an order for 10,000 feet of that product. Mm -hmm. But our corporate purchasing, because they're buying for everybody in the whole company, yeah. they kind of get the power to be like, We'll give you an order for all of this. What kind of mm -hmm. price can you give us? And it's usually a much better price than yeah. you know other people can get. Yeah. A lot of what we do is work on specific bids, contracts, jobs, mm -hmm. to where a company will come to us and say, we have this big job and we do need 2,000 feet. What's the best that you could do for us? And we'll be able to go out to our vendors and purchase that because mm -hmm. it might be more than what we're bringing in for stock or we might have to make sure that the stock is being replenished. Mm -hmm. So I also have a little bit, I wear a little bit of a purchaser's hat too. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's one way to describe my job too because that's exactly what I do every single day. I'm writing purchase orders out to the mills mm -hmm. and they're sending us material for different jobs recording. How many, uh, you used to call them accounts? Yeah. Yep. How many accounts do you have at a time, would you say? And how long do each of them usually last until they're filled? So accounts, um, hopefully you keep them forever. Unless if something really bad happens and you're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not happy with you and they're like, we're never coming back to your company ever again to buy. Yeah. Or maybe something really bad like that happens. They go on a break for like three or four years. They might, you know... Mm -hmm. have lost those feelings and they're like we'll buy from you again mm -hmm. um, a lot of relationship but what I work on a lot and I think like what you're trying to ask with that question is how many quotes am I working on at a time yeah so that's a single job that an account will send in mm -hmm. um, I'm working on probably anywhere between 20 and 40 at a time. Uh, sometimes it gets slower, sometimes it gets heavier. Mm -hmm. But what will happen is a customer will send to our, our salesperson, we need 2,000 feet of this. Mm -hmm. Our salesperson will send it to me saying, we're looking for this. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do is send it out to three or four different vendors and be like, I'm looking to buy this, what's your price? Yeah. Now after I send out that email, it's going to take them probably a day for all of them to respond back. Just a day? It could be a day, it could be three days, but 
there is a certain aspect of it to where you want to be quick because we can't yeah. wait forever to quote our customers because we have competitors that are quoting our customers too, yeah. trying to get that business. And if you're too slow and they already placed the order, you lose that order. Yeah. Yeah. Nine, nine we, for like, we call it tendering. Mm -hmm. It's like, we ask suppliers for your product and then it's, they have 28 days. They have like a month to a get month. us back pricing. Yeah. And is there a lot going into that product? A lot going into that stage? Yeah, I mean, they need to figure out how to like make it and how much it, they're gonna charge us. Yeah, because there might be, I'm just imagining that you might have to deal with the marketing, how are we gonna market this? What are they gonna do to the product? It might be color-based or something yeah. like that. Yeah. We're a little similar, but if the customer knows what they want, they're like, we want this stainless steel. Mm -hmm. They already know what they want. It's very easy. Sometimes their customer will say, we're looking for something to build this. We don't know mm -hmm. what are our options. That's when you might have to do a little bit more digging with the customer and be like, what kind of material do you want? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting with that. There's a lot of different kinds of stainless steel alloys. Mm -hmm. That's what the alloy alloy is a mix of different metals mm -hmm. so stainless steel has different alloys uh, probably the most common alloy is called 304 mm -hmm. it's um, 18 and 8 it's uh, I think it's 8% nickel and 18% chromium mm -hmm. and that gives it a very somewhat cost-efficient but very um, good qualities in the metal there's also a stainless steel called 316. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like 304, but it's a little bit more corrosive resistant. So if it's going into something that's going to be close to seawater, mm -hmm. where that seawater is going to corrode the metal over time, you might want to use 316 or maybe something that's going to be outside or a marine application, like exhaust mm -hmm. on a boat, mm -hmm. are usually 316. So when it gets to alloys, there are so many different alloys of stainless steel yeah. and different grades and when you, you just know all of it off the top of your head? I don't and that's the part of my <laughs> business is there's so much to learn and there's so much yeah. to know and that's why we have the wonderful thing called Google. <laughs> that is true. Sometimes they're like, we want this, you want what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then I have to go, where the heck do I get this from? Because <laughs> not always do we um, sell out of stock and not always have we sold it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they ask us for metal and now we have to go out to our suppliers and kind of use our network of people and we might be asking our vendors listen I know you don't sell this but do you know anybody that would yeah or do you know where I would like go find or look for this and that's kind of like the network base of things where a customer might not be able to find it but we might just because we know so many people in the industry yeah yeah so a lot of that is tough um, mm -hmm. Because <laughs> yeah. it's very intense, everything has different, um, you know, properties to it, different yeah. properties, and they all have different end uses. So while I'm still learning the end uses, because I don't really see the customers too often, mm -hmm. but sometimes it'll be like a petroleum customer mm -hmm. that sends it in asking for a very weird alloy that I've never heard of. I know that that alloy probably has something specific in that segment that you know they needed to be corrosive resistant against gasoline or fuel or whatever they're doing mm -hmm. or they might be operating at high temperatures and the material needs to be able to yeah. react to that so that stuff is interesting though mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so so much. Um, so if you talk to somebody that works at a fabricating shop and stuff, they'll know a lot more of that off the top of their head, or even better, they'll only know specifically everything about the alloy they use mm -hmm. because the industry dictates that this is the best alloy to be bent into mm -hmm. this or to be corrosive resistant against that. Or, yeah. um, you know, there's certain grades that are just for welding. They weld better, Yeah. you know, so different things like that. Okay, so you said that you'll send it out to your people and it takes about one day. You try to get it back with one day. So then what happens after that? After we get a quote out? Yeah. Um, it's up to our sales team to follow up on that. Um, if it's a promising, they think we have a good chance of winning it and we haven't received an order in a few days, they might reach back out to the customer and say, um, you know, do you have any feedback for us? Was our price too high? Um, is the lead time too long? We can't get it to you quick enough. Mm -hmm. What happened? If we get feedback, sometimes we can go back to the mills and say, hey, you said you could have this to us in six weeks, but they need it in two. Is there anything you can do? Sometimes they'll be able to expedite the order. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes knowing that extra knowledge, we could go back out and say, do any of these vendors have it in two weeks? And even though it might be more expensive and we don't usually buy it from them, mm -hmm. maybe it'll work better for this specific bid. Yeah. So um, certain things like that, we just hope we get an order. Yeah. So once we get an order, our sales team will uh, create a sales order mm -hmm. and that is on the sales side of things. And then we will create a purchase order that links up to that sales order. Mm -hmm. And that will go to the vendor and say, hey, we won this, so we need this material. And then it's just whatever the lead time is, that's how long it will take mm -hmm. to ship? Yeah, you put it all in the PO, it'll include when you need it by. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously when the mill quoted you, um, 10 weeks. We've had certain times in our market, in our industry, where they've quoted 10 weeks, but then something happens and you don't get it until 20 weeks. Mm. So it's very difficult to kind of, you know, work with that customer. That customer might have needed that material for a job. Yeah. And we do the best to try to work things out, but sometimes it's out of your control. Yeah. Um, that ended up happening during the COVID recovery. Um, there were certain mills that weren't even producing material anymore. Mm -hmm. And what happened was the supply dropped like crazy and the demand was still going, especially as COVID kind of doled off and it started to pick back up again. Mm -hmm. The mill lead times went from about three weeks when I was in the industry, three or four weeks was for everything. Mm -hmm. Then it went to 10, 15, 20, it got all the way up to 30 weeks. You could not find the material. Mm -hmm. So everything we had in stock, the price rose big time. Yeah. And we couldn't sell as much because we couldn't get our hands on yeah. the material to sell it. How long did that last? Um, that probably lasted a good six months or so. Finally, when things got alleviated and they were at 30, mm -hmm. we were hoping they'd stop going up and they were like mm -hmm. creeping up, but then they were starting to creep down and we've just been working down since then. So. so it's still not completely back to three? No, it's not. I'd say on average, it's different for different product groups, mm -hmm. but I'd say about 10 weeks might be you the average. You think it will ever go down? I don't know because I haven't been in the industry for too long mm -hmm. but with COVID a lot of people that have been in the industry have said we have never ever seen anything like this 
and we've never imagined anything like this would happen. Yeah. Um, it's just, they mean a pandemic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and seeing this material being so volatile. Yeah. Um, because metals typically is a very boring industry where price just kind of flatlined. It would change by pennies. Mm -hmm. One month it would go up a penny, go down a penny. Now we're dealing with whole dollars that are shooting up, spiking, mm -hmm. dropping down, you know, so we're constantly playing the game and it makes my job a lot more interesting. I actually get to follow it and it's more important because yeah. of that. Which you like. Yep. More more interesting. Do all your products it's not made but are assembled or like the factories? Are they all in the United States? Um, like our customers? No. The mills. The mills. The mills. Yeah, where are they located? Um most of them are in the U.S. that we buy from. We have relationships with them, mm -hmm. but we also have relationships with import sources. Uh, import meaning that we get it from a different country. Um, a very popular area to get it um, from is China. Mm -hmm. China sells the U.S. a lot of tubing, mm -hmm. and China is very, very, very cheap. But along with that sometimes comes a lack in quality. So a lot of our customers um, that use the stainless steel more intensely might have pressure applications where they're running through something and it's pressurized. Mm -hmm. And what will happen is if it's cheaper material, the weld seam will burst. Where the material gets rolled and welded, mm -hmm. it'll burst and leak. Mm -hmm. And you can't have that in a lot of applications. So a lot of applications will call for just domestic only. What's interesting in the tubing world is a lot of places will call Canadian and Mexican material uh, domestic. It's close enough to a similar quality mm -hmm. to a U.S. made tube. Domestic shouldn't be, a product being categor categorized as domestic, yikes. Wow. <laughs> 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 a product being categorized as, as domestic. domestic. Shouldn't Shug why are you <laughs> from the USA? No, shouldn't be called domestic based off of the quality. It isn't that where it's from. Yeah, that's why it's domestic. Yeah, I mean, it, we they say, can we have domestic? We say, can you take Mexican material? They're like, yeah, that's that's close enough. Uh oh. Yeah. So they're so. just dumb. Well, they know what they want, and um, we help them better understand what they want. Are you ever hands-on with the product? Um, a little bit, not a whole lot. Um, that's a lot of what our warehouse people are for. Mm -hmm. um, we have certain ways of testing the material. If our customer um, orders something, we have a qual certain quality inspection and check that we do. And when we bring it in, mm -hmm. our warehouse people We'll use this tool that measures exactly how thick the wall is of the tubing mm -hmm. and make sure that it's actually what we ordered. They'll also look at the stenciling on the tube that says what it is and if it matches up the order, mm -hmm. which sometimes the mill accidentally sends the wrong material. Mm -hmm. We catch it in the warehouse. Sometimes the warehouse doesn't catch it. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like one of those things where maybe we ship it off to the customer and the customer's Ooh, side. Yeah. So that was what you were saying earlier. It wouldn't be your fault. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a team effort, so maybe it's somebody's fault, maybe it's everybody's fault, and maybe mm -hmm. it's nobody's fault. Yeah. That's just how it goes, but what we do as a team is we try to 
you know, problem solve. If we see something is going wrong, often mm -hmm. we have to figure it out as a team. What can we do better? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that goes into it. Um, the warehouse is obviously a lot more hands-on with it than I am. Yeah. But I'll go out there occasionally. I had a scenario where we were testing the material. The material was correct, mm -hmm. but the stenciling was wrong. It said that it was a different wall thickness, but when we tested it, it was like right, mm -hmm. but the stenciling was off. So yeah. one of our vendors actually came, sent out a person to re-stencil the material. It was mm -hmm. only like 10 pieces. So they came out and I walked them out and showed them where it is and mm -hmm. helped them do that. So that was like one of the situations where I'd be out in the warehouse. Would you like to be more hands-on or are you like satisfied with the amount of times you're in there? I like, uh, my position, I, I would say it would get a little boring if I was never out there, mm -hmm. um, but the, the amount that I'm in there is, is a pretty good amount. How often would you say you're speaking with other people? Like people, do you have like a team? I do have a team. Uh, my team of specialists, there's uh, four of us, mm -hmm. um, and we help the whole company. So some of us help different branches more often um, because we're a corporate team. We'll have sales teams uh, not only here in Chicago, but also in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and they come to us. Um, my team, we work together often. Some of us are more knowledgeable on certain things than others, just past experiences, different things that we've been through. Mm -hmm. That one time that you see a quote come through for a weird alloy, and you're like, what the heck is this? Mm -hmm. And you go through that, maybe somebody else on the team now it's seeing that for the first time and you're like, oh, I've actually done this. So yeah. we could all kind of help each other out and use our different expertises. Um, but a lot of the time it is independent work. A lot of the time the salespeople is reaching out to one of us or all of us and one of us is taking care of that quote. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, there's certain aspects of it that we have to work as a, as a team for the whole company, such as tracking the material. Mm -hmm. When nickel spikes, we need to know, and when nickel drops, we need to know, and our sales team needs to know, mm -hmm. but we're the ones that track that and give them the heads up. So do you have like team meetings, like weekly? We used to. Um, now we do it a little bit more over email. We kind of send, uh, you know, big email, and we have different, um, you know, sort of things that we do set up to kind of just take care of that already. Yeah. One member of the team sends out a nickel and aluminum tracker every month every week. What's your favorite part of your job? A favorite part of my job? Mm -hmm. um, by far is the relationship building. The fact that I get to develop so many relationships with different people, I really enjoy that mm -hmm. aspect of it. My sales team, my vendors, um, I like talking to people and that's been a big part of my job and I'm, I'm happy about that. Mm -hmm. What's your least favorite part? To be honest with you, my least favorite part is working inside all day. It is an eight to five job. Um, sometimes in the, I, I call it the hard season, mm -hmm. like between November and March. I, but during those months, I will just not see the sun at all. So I get to work, it's still dark out. I leave work and it's dark out. Mm -hmm. You know, when it gets bright at 8.30 and it gets dark at 4.30, <laughs> that's why. <I'm laughs> you have an office? It's kind of sad, yeah. You have a window? Yeah.
No, we do not. <laughs> <laughs> um, least favorite part is being inside. Uh, by far. It is depressing at times, but um, I don't know. I wish I was outside more, to be honest, but it is what it is. You need to switch jobs to an item that gets made outside. Mm -hmm. and then more hands-on, just become a welder. Yeah, I mean, we have a video about it. I know, it so inspired me. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Learned so much. That's the point of these, so I'm mm -hmm. glad. Listening to them talking about their weldings and stuff mm -hmm. uh, comes into play a lot of what I do. Um, the material I need to know if it's TIG welded or uh, if it's an electric weld. Mm -hmm. Certain customers will ask about that. They'll be like, the electric weld doesn't work well for us. We need it TIG welded. Yeah. So they knew more about those welds that I don't really know. Well, um, now just send them that interview. Yeah. And then win-win for everyone. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need to know about TIG welding? Let me send you this podcast. Watch this 45 minute podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What would you say is an uncommon fact? But I feel like you kind of already touched on it, but I'll still let you answer. An uncommon fact. Yeah, about your position or about your industry. That's a tough one. I, I can't really think of anything right off the top of my head now. Everyone says this is the hardest question. It probably, this, the question you yeah. just asked? Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's tough because there's a lot of like things like that that yeah. could be. Um, I just feel like it's things that people don't know, which is like a lot. Yeah. Um, I kind of touched on the alloys already. Um, the different materials are made out of different alloys, different metals that go into it. Yeah. Um, one of the different things about it is the spec that it's made to. Mm -hmm. um, each different type of tubing might be produced differently and tested differently. Mm -hmm. The mill has to test in order to meet the spec tolerance. Yeah. Um, there's two different organizations that will determine the specs. Mm -hmm. It's ASTM and ASME. And what will happen is ASTM, I wish I knew what it stood for. I think it's like American Standards. Mm -hmm. So a lot of manufacturing industries use ASTM, yeah. including you know the tubing industry. Mm -hmm. um, and ASME kind of goes off of the ASTM standards that are set, but it's more pressure-based testings. So when we order a tube from a mill and they're making 5,000 feet of this material and this is going online, mm -hmm. they have to do a certain amount of quality inspections in order to meet that spec. Yeah. So what they're going to do is pull off part of the tubing and test it as they're going. Mm -hmm. They're going to make sure the wall thickness tolerance is correct the uh, OD or outer diameter test is, you know, within tolerance. Mm -hmm. uh, ASTM and ASME looks at the way that they're producing this and they say, well, you should be able to produce this within this sort of tolerance. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of setting a standard for everybody that makes that material to that spec. So mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting the different specs you get, the different testings that go into it. Yeah. I learned a lot more about the testing and the metallurgy of the metal recently because I attended a seminar where I learned a lot about, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I stopped myself. Oh, 
okay? You really didn't. <laughs> you really didn't. Did you voluntarily go to this? <laughs> Look, he did not. Yeah, the rest of my that. team did not because they were not interested, but I was interested in learning. So, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> The different types of tests they do are obviously to test different types of things, but to test the hardness of the material, like how likely it is to dent, they actually put it in this machine where they have a ball hammer and it will do a light tap and they'll measure how, you know, large the dent is mm -hmm. and then they'll do a hard tap and it'll measure how, you know, big the dent is and from that they can determine the hardness of the material. That's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Every single tube is produced um, in a heat. Mm -hmm. And that heat is all the same batch of material that came in on the strip. So that heat will all have the same chemical composition. Mm -hmm. And another heat might have a different chemical composition because it was made at a different time. Mm -hmm. But ASTM determines that, you know, nickel has to be within six to eight percent mm -hmm. so it could be anywhere in there you know so one batch or heat of a material might be different than another one yeah and each heat comes with an mtr a materials test report mm -hmm. so each tube has an mtr that we could reference and it will go through the different testings that that batch mm -hmm. has gone through so that includes the hardness test that i was just talking about mm -hmm. um any current test kind of to make sure I'm not exactly sure what that one does, but I think it uh, determines like the structure of the material. If there's any like unsoundness, mm -hmm. maybe any gaps in the material, any bubbles or anything like that, it yeah. might be able to find that. Um, those sort of things are, you know, what the tube goes through that you don't really think about. You think yeah. they just make the tube. No, they have to test it as to a certain quality. Mm -hmm. And that's all throughout the world. I mean, if you're getting that Chinese material, Mm -hmm. It still has to meet the ASTM specs, but it might meet it a little less than what the domestic, you yeah. know, the domestic might be a little higher on that. So, wow. interesting stuff there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One question I forgot to ask you earlier was what job, what requirements you had to get, have for your job? Mostly it's a bachelor's degree. A lot of it determines on how well you can communicate. Um, that can't be true. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Really? Because you got the job? I communicate great. Great. <laughs> okay? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> email, how well you can write emails, you know, how good your grammar and spelling is. <laughs> I do you have anything to I say on that? Do you have anything to say? I feel like you're fine oh, okay. in the emails and stuff. I haven't emailed you very much, but just getting a hold of you is nearly impossible. Well, it's a little different, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so good communication skills and mm -hmm. a bachelor's degree. Yep. It also helped that I did a little economics, I could kind of sell myself on that. Mm -hmm. And the analyzing part of my job kind of requires me to use Excel pretty often. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that is a requirement, but also you could learn on the job pretty well and you'll learn mm -hmm. different tricks as you go through yeah. working. So I'm pretty um, proficient in Excel. Um, is that you bragging? 
I'm pretty good at Excel. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to someone looking to be a product specialist? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I would say go in with an open mind and try to learn as much as you can about that industry. Mm-hmm. I never thought that I'd be in the metals industry, but mm-hmm. the metals industry was kind of the job that was open. And when I checked it out, I was like, okay, I'll, you know, do it. Mm-hmm. And I really like learned to really like the, the industry that I'm in. Yeah. Um, but a product specialist could be absolutely anything. So yeah. no matter what the product is, so maybe try to learn a little bit more about your product, um, but you'll learn plenty when you're in the job. Just know that this might be something that you might want to stick with. You so. want to stick with it? Yeah, I think so. I think um, the saying in the metals industry is once you're in, you're in, and you can't leave. Mm-hmm. So and it's just <laughs> like a cult. Yeah, yeah, like a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything else you wanna um, say before we switch into some trivia? Some trivia? Yeah. I didn't know there was trivia. <laughs> That's how I know you didn't watch my videos. Oh, All my no. videos have trivia. Okay. Mm. So you're fake. You said mm. you watched it. Mm. All the way at the end. Great. Yep. Great. Great. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything else to say. I like um, what I do for the most part. You know, there's ups and downs, but um, there's plenty of to learn, and I embrace it. So that's, that's fun. Fun. Hmm? So I have product development vocabulary words pulled up. Is that you? Like, would you know that? Product development? Yeah. I'm not developing a product. So you won't know one? I can try. I also have an aluminum trivia quiz pulled up. That's probably better. I could probably nail that. Okay. I like this. <laughs> it is five questions. Mm-hmm. Which isotope of aluminum is stable? And then it says not radioactive. AI-26. AI-13. AI-28 or AI-27? Oh, 28. How positive are you? I'm uh, not. I just guessed. Okay, let's see. I don't know much about isotopes. You're wrong. That was close. AI-27. That was my second guess. It says AI-26 has half-life of 730,000 years, and AI-28 is 2.3 minutes. Wow. I don't know what that means. Wow. But, yeah. It has to do with radioactive decay. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. What year was aluminum discovered? you want the options? Or do you know off the top of your head? I do want the options because it's been around for a little while. 1888. 1825 or 1616? I'm going to go with 1825. No. <laughs> I was right. No, it was 18... Oh, wait, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say? No, thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking about this. And I yes, enjoy thank you for coming. It was very, very interesting.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Young or Dumb. I hope you enjoyed the subject and learned something new. Make sure to follow my podcast for more interesting conversations. And remember, be happy and be chill.